Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're back again uh, with our second weirdly topical episode for us in a row. We're not turning into a, like, Game of the Week show, but also there's been so many fucking cool games coming out recently. (laughs) Too many games. It's a problem. But this week, we, Dylan and I both picked up Elden Ring over the last week or so, uh, and... Dang it, it's a really interesting game, and we both wanted to talk about it. In particular, and Dylan, let me know if, if, if this is not the angle that you were thinking of, but the main thing that I'm looking forward to digging into is, like, why it feels so dang good to explore in this game. Yeah, yeah. I, th- there's something I want to talk about, like, after we get into Elden Ring a little bit. Sure. Because, uh, like, it made me think of a fan mod of a uh, game that... Uh, We'll, we'll we'll get there later. Okay. I, okay. I, th- I think I think Elden Ring kind of speaks to like a certain appeal, like mechanical appeal. For sure. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, for for anyone out there who uh, has not had their entire social media landscape warped by this damn game over the last month, what the fuck is Elden Ring? Well, what isn't Elden Ring? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, um, Elden Ring is the latest game by a uh, developer from Software, published by Bandai Namco, I think? Uh, yes, yes. Okay, and it is... Um, have you heard of Dark Souls, Chris? I have, once or All twice. Right. And Chris, I, I'm talking to you as a stand-in for the yeah. audience. So I hope that our audience uh, listeners are familiar with Dark Souls. But uh, if you didn't know, Dark Souls is a action RPG uh, where you kind of walk around like this very sp- deliberately designed map. Um, and it's like just this big dungeon uh, with like multiple different areas that you explore. And yeah, uh, I-, I feel like that's pretty straightforward. So Elden Ring is that except in an open world scale. So yeah. There is a lot of land to cover, a lot of land to explore. The comparisons with Breath of the Wild are inevitable. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think more apt yes. than when those exp- uh, comparisons have been brought up most of the time over the last few years. And I'll get to that in a second. Right. Because um, Breath of the Wild is very much, is very open-ended in the same way that um, Elden Ring is open-ended. In fact, I would say that, like, <laughs> it's more open-ended because Breath of the Wild points you in a direction and, like, kind of holds you by the hand for, like, the first couple hours of the game before letting you go. And when they do let you go, um, they give you a very clear path forward, and very early along that path, they tell you, like, oh, if you want to get to the end of the game, that's over there. Um, yeah. Everything I've heard people discussing about Elden Ring is that like no, like people just did not know where to go ever. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, like, you know, they're pointed in a direction, but that direction is so crazy hard that, like, it is encouraged that you go around and explore and, like, try to build yourself up a bit before you take on the thing that the game told you to do. Yeah, absolutely. Dark Souls. And this this is, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but, like, my opinion of, of the original Dark Souls in particular and, like, Really, most of those, you know, Dark Souls, uh, Bloodborne, Sekiro, the other FromSoft games that kind of codified this Souls-like genre. Dark Souls 1 in particular, though, is about the best adaptation of, like, a Metroidvania-style map into 3D that -hmm. I think I've ever played. Yeah, I could see that. Like, Uh, let me think. I'm just, I'm going through, like, the list. Uh, yeah. You might hear the dial-up connection running through my brain. <laughs> but I want to agree with you. I, I think, Yeah, like, like if, by all means, we, we give our social media at the end of the episode if there is a game that I am not thinking of that you think is a contender for that title. Please let me know. I love this genre of game. But, like, mm-hmm. what makes Dark Souls as a, as a series, and especially Dark Souls 1, so compelling is this I, this sense of, like, the world being one big interconnected maze of a place. And it's it does a decent enough job of sort of giving you an idea of where to go next, but like kind of leaves you up to like follow the, the pathways and, 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 you know, the twists and turns of the map to find your way there. And as you go, you will open up shortcuts back behind you and you will you will uncover different ways that the world sort of has folded back over on itself and suddenly like oh i've been going for three hours but i am also a 10 second elevator ride away from the starting area of the game elden ring feels like someone took dark souls cut it up into little pieces threw those pieces into a scrabble bag and then scattered those pieces all over the world map of breath of the wild like I, I'm not. I want to. I want to preface this. I'm only. I don't know. I've only played probably four or five hours of the game at this point. I'm not very deep in. Um, but, I am even less deep. Uh, yeah. I want to say like I. I'm. I'm getting filtered pretty hard, and then I was having some technical difficulties the entire past week. So oh no. Uh, unfortunately, my playtime has been rather limited. Um, yeah. But what I what it feels like is, you know, you're in this big open world. There's various little, you know, enemy encounters scattered around. You might run into a random boss fight in the overworld. Uh, But it's generally like a big wide open area that you are having to navigate. And as you navigate, you will just find like, oh, there's a cave here. And if you go inside, you'll get a whole little like mini it really does feel like a chunk of like Dark Souls 3 that has been carefully excised and airlifted mm-hmm. out and dropped down into the middle of this open world for you to find. Yes. And that is like I it's it's a fascinating thing because it it really is a very good melding of these two seemingly pretty dissimilar uh approaches to like a game world. But it's really compelling and it's really cool. And what makes it work more than anything else, I think, is their approach to the map. And this is where the Breath of the Wild comparison, I think, is the most apt. Because okay. Breath of the Wild, and I think we talked about this in another episode, Dylan, 
But Breath of the Wild did a very a, a thing that I absolutely adored, where like you know it's a big open world game. There are dozens of big open world games where you you know you explore and you don't have a map, and then you climb up a big tower and it fills in the map. And in almost all of those games, when you climb up that big tower and fill in the map, it also fills in like a whole bunch of little markers for like here is where all the village and shopkeepers are in this chunk of the map. Here is where. Uh, you can find various collectibles in these various areas of the map. Here is where the, like, thinking of something like Horizon Zero Dawn, here is where all of the, like, a marker indicating what kind of robot beast exists in each area of the map. And, like, there's nothing wrong with this approach. It is a it is a good way of giving players information about what there is for them to find in these, like, enormous open-world spaces. Breath of the Wild just gives you basically a topographic map with, like, the names of some landmarks on it. And that was so novel and so interesting. And for me, like, the way that I was playing it really encouraged me to actively explore in a way that the Assassin's Creed led more standard open world, like, map full of icons didn't. And something that just kind of crossed my mind regarding that, um, the the whole presentation of, like, icons on your map is that, um, in Breath of the Wild, you see something, you see a point of interest over there, you don't really have any reason to check it out other than your own curiosity, but in something like Assassin's Creed, if, if there was an equivalent thing, A, you're probably not going to be looking around for any points of interest because your eyes are more than likely glued onto your map. Yeah. Um, because, like, that is the easiest and most effective way to explore in those games. And B, like, if you are looking around and you see a point of interest, you can immediately answer the question, what's over there, by consulting your map. Yeah. Um, and so there's no real... There's no real uh, desire to go anywhere just because. There yeah. is always a kind of, like... Let me see if this will validate my curiosity. Oh, it's this thing that I'm not curious about. I'll go away. Or oh, it's this thing that I kind of want to do. Yeah, to, I'll to, head. I'll head there, but it's like I'm checking that off a list because that is. It's like an obligation now. Yeah, to 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 be heady about it. It's a. It's the difference between like extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. I don't think that's heady. I, I think mean, that's like I'm. I'm being. I'm being broad, but like okay. In in one case, you are given. Like, you kind of just said, a checklist of, like, here are all of the things the game wants you to know are there. And in the other, you are having to look and and feel a curiosity on your own to draw you to these new places. And one is not necessarily better than the other. I want to stress that. Like, a lot of games that fall into the former category are still very fun. But... I tend to find myself burning out on... Like, I I have attempted to play Horizon Zero Dawn probably four or five times at this point. I think the game is really cool. The art direction is incredible. The performances are great. There's a lot of really, really good stuff in that game. But it it never manages to fully hook me and in the way that A Breath of the Wild or now an Elden Ring really has and i think that approach to exploration is is the difference for me as a player yeah that makes Um, sense but also just i want to stress like elden ring does such a good job like you don't climb big towers to reveal the map you can find map segments like 
so far, both of the ones I've found have been, like, laying by these, like, ornate sort of crossroad pillars. But, like, if you look at the map and you, you are scanning it and you see something that looks like a ruin, like the outline of a ruined building, if you go there, there will be some ruins for you to explore and usually, like, a combat encounter and some kind of reward. If you see something that looks like a hole in the ground, you can go there and find the entrance to a cave system. Earlier today, I was playing and I, like, spotted this... I couldn't tell what it was, I just saw something silhouetted up on, like, this ridge, and so I rode over and climbed up to that ridge, and there was the statue, and it, I don't remember the, the text, but it said something like, follow my grace, and there was this, like, thin, translucent beam of blue light emanating from the statue off in a direction, and so I yes. followed that. Oh my god, it's a treasure hunt. Yeah, I followed that that beacon and found my way to this like very hard to spot out of the way cave entrance. Oh, that's so cool. In, and there was a whole little like mini dungeon with a boss fight there. And like <laughs> that kind of very deliberate like the game is built to make you curious and to make you want to like follow these diegetic clues. And I think that's mm. so fucking cool. And I think diegetic is the key word here because, um, like, I remember uh, Ghost of Tsushima made it, like, a very big deal how uh, they were trying to keep player player engagement with any kind of map to a minimum and, like, mm -hmm. find these more diegetic ways of leading them to, to certain things and tasks um, and, you know, basically just keep them in the world as much as possible. Um, and that's that's good. I think that is something that is commendable. But I think you know, Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild, like, kind of take it the uh, extra step by literally just having it be, like, I don't know, uh, I guess Wonder Wonderlust, Wanderlust, sorry, yeah. um, is the uh, kind of key term here, where it's, it's all based on, like, you know, your own natural curiosity, which I, I feel like that inspires a sense of adventure. Um, I feel like when, when I think about um, open world games, dating back to Grand Theft Auto 3, honestly, I feel like so much of the world is less about exploration and more about, like, this is a sandbox for you to have an adventure in. So, like, we can design set pieces that take place in this sandbox, but it's not necessarily about exploring and discovering things. And I think that's kind of a stumbling block a lot of uh, later open world games that, that do try to sell this idea of exploration and adventure fall into because it's the sandbox isn't necessarily there for I, I think it's the difference between a game like horizon uh and a game like metal gear solid 5 where in metal gear solid 5 the world is designed the way it is less for exploration and discovery and more for multiple ways of getting a task done mm -hmm. and that's what that's how grand theft auto 3 is designed but i think the more we're talking about like Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild, the more I kind of realize that like that kind of design isn't necessarily suitable for a more adventure game style of format. Yeah. Um, and like there, mm -hmm. there's definitely a place for it. And I think that it's, it doesn't have to be all one or all the other. No, but I, I do think like, I, I do think to a certain degree, um, cause you're right. But I, I, I think the thing about, um, and I don't want to dump on Horizon because I have I do like what I've seen of it. But I, I think like for a lot of open world games, like so much of it is kind of there as like a actually, you know what I'm going to pick on? I'm going to pick on one of my favorite games. Do it. Uh, I'm going to pick <laughs> on Jack 2. All um, right. <laughs> Jack 2 is uh, <laughs> for people who don't know, 
because this game is pretty old by this point. Um, Jack and Daxter, uh, for the PlayStation 2, the original, was, like, kind of a open-world Mario game, uh, in that, like, you know, it had all the 3D platformer staples of, like, each area has, like, six or seven tasks that you can do, um, and Jack and Daxter was cool because, like, it was all seamless, um, there was no, like, dropping in and out of the world, uh, it was all, like, one huge connected world. Um, and there would be little tricks to mask the loading, but, like, for the most part, it was, like, you would never see a loading screen as you were exploring the world. Which, um, by the way, like, damn, that's some really fucking clever game design going on under the hood to make that possible on the PlayStation. It's a really cool game. Um, so, Jack and Dexter, I, if I remember correctly, sold decent, but probably not as well as Naughty Dog hoped. So, for um, the sequel, they decided to borrow from things such as Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and Grand Theft Auto 3. <laughs> um, and so, it takes place in, like, this more dystopian future um, in this super high-tech city. Um, and one of the huge strong points was, like, it, it has the same, like, platformer-style gameplay of Jack and Daxter, but now you can explore this entire city. And here's, here's the unfortunate truth. The city is kind of a formality for, uh, for getting to point, from point A to B. Like, it feels mm-hmm. immersive that you are exploring this huge city, and sometimes they will design a mission around the city. Um... Because the city does make for some interesting level design. Say, like, you have to destroy uh, five of this type of vehicle. Um, There's some fun to be had, like, just driving around the city and, like, trying to... As you slowly memorize the city's geography. Like, that's all really cool. But um, the issue that Jack and Dexter runs into is that the city kind of takes away from the more platformy elements. And so to kind of play more of the traditional Jack and Dexter platforming, you actually really have to leave the city <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and go to these little side areas that are designed more for that type of play. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I, I feel like this, th- a lot of people like to bag on Ubisoft for the uh, Far Cry formula. Um, and it's, I, I think what they're getting at there is like, does Far Cry have like very solid like first person shooting combat and like you have like a lot of interesting skills to unlock and blah 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 and blah blah blah. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool tools in the Far Cry games. It it is a very compelling first person shooter. However, um I think the issue a lot of people have with that game is that like so much of it just kind of feels like it doesn't need to be as big as it is. Yeah. Because like they they made a big world and then they just put stuff in to justify the open world. Um yeah. and I want to I want to jump a little bit to Far Cry's defense. Far Cry 3 fucking rips. That game yeah. is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I I know Far Cry 3 is is like worth the hype. Like Yeah, but like I yeah. I think that the point still stands because Far Cry 3 one I think Far Cry 3 was like kind of just on the like maybe just on the too big side. Yeah. But Far Cry 3 uses its open world very well in that like its main sort of gameplay hook is all about like navigating your way around and using the environment and the skills that you have related to the environment to sort of guerrilla warfare your way through overwhelming odds. 
And so the way that it's open world is designed is sort of kind of getting back to what you were saying about um, like the GTA model. It's an open world so that you can have all these tools at your disposal to take on the challenges that it presents you. Again, kind of like Metal Gear Solid Five is another point of comparison you brought up yeah, earlier, or uh, the Just Cause games, actually. Yeah, Those are pretty yeah, good abs- absolutely, like the Just Just Cause games. Um, yeah, the navigation is not the fun part, and that's where, like, as they kind of codified that formula and moved on to Far Cry Four and Far Cry Five, and they felt like they had to make things even bigger. It's like, okay, well, it's bigger, which means that I have to walk more <laughs> to right, get to the like, next pip on my map. <laughs> Right, and so the the reason why these maps are so big is because they sell the idea of exploration, but if your game is not about exploration, then what is the point? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it, just like added busy work for the player to do to get to the next uh, set piece. Yeah. If we're ragging on, on our favorite games in this category, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put uh, Assassin's Creed 2 up on the chopping block as well. Mm-hmm. The Assassin's Creed games, I think they do a little bit more with their open worlds because, like, they they so much of those games are about the navigation and about making you feel like a cool parkour ninja, mm-hmm. and so those worlds are very carefully designed to have all these like fun routes to parkour your way across the city and to make getting from mission to mission feel fun. But again, like you're saying, it's got this big world full of, you know, theoretically full of stuff that you are able to explore in this very cool way. But it is not a game about exploring that world. It is a game about going to the next pip on your map. And like sometimes the missions involve like climbing to a tall place and using your special eyes to see, you know, to, to kind of track someone through the world. And there there are moments where they get a little bit closer because, again, the navigation of the world, at least, even if it's not the exploring of it, but the the moving through it is so key to those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still like, it's again, it's a different approach. And as the, assassins, the cities in Assassin's Creed got bigger, it started to feel more and more like a commute and less and less, like, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... You know, some games, like, find a way around it. Like, I still personally really like Jack 2, because I, I just find the hover cars to be fun to maneuver around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you know, something like the Spider-Man games, dating all the way back to Spider-Man 2. Oh, for, yeah, Spider-Man like, 2, the know, movie, the game is the so movie, fucking the game, good. Yeah. Uh, just, like, if you can make movement really fun, um, and, like, make traveling from point A to B, like, part of you know, feel like the game rather than getting to the next point of the game. Congratulations. Like you, you fucking nailed it. Yeah. I, I remember really enjoying infamous two for that reason. Uh, infamous two was also a lot of fun with the, the traversal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting because there's, there's, there's a handful of different approaches to these big open world games. And then there's, Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring, which really do feel like they are carving a new approach between the two of them at this point. Yeah, so what makes Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring fun, I I think we already got into it, is like that idea of exploration and discovery. Um, You're no longer, I mean, you are still going from point A to B, but A, you are choosing what you want point B to be. Yeah. Yeah. and, and like actually choosing it, not 
scrolling through a list of objectives, but looking at a map yes. or looking at a landmark and going, I wonder what's there. Yeah. Um, and also, any distractions from that path are of your own volition. Yeah. Like, you have the freedom to... <laughs> point B does not necessarily have to be point B for you. Point B is wherever your head is pointed at any given moment. Yeah, um, like, I... just. <laughs> Kind of I was talking point B down to point Z. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I I was talking to my wife about this because she she was like, "What the fuck is Elden Ring, and why is everyone on Twitter talking about it?" <laughs> uh, oh, and I, I'm sorry, I was, Alex. I wish you were safe from Elden yeah. Ring discourse. <laughs> and I I sort of explained the the general conceit of it to her. My wife does not play a ton of video games, um, but I I explained this to her, and she was like, "Yeah, okay, I." That sounds interesting, but I also, like, I have, these are her, her words, she was like, I have trouble because I often feel kind of directionless in mm -hmm. games like that. And I, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she was essentially expressing, like, you know, I get choice paralysis when yeah. presented with that little guidance and that much of a world. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I absolutely get that. And then I was, and then she, she we were having this conversation as she was playing Animal Crossing. She recently got back I into get choice New paralysis playing animal crossing yeah, and that's what i said i was like you know what the appeal of these games to me is very much the same as the appeal of animal crossing was back when i was still playing it back in like 2020 mm -hmm. it's like i play things like breath of the wild and elden ring by like all right i've got 45 minutes to an hour i'm gonna boot it up i'm gonna pick a direction to walk in or i'm gonna pick a landmark to explore and I'm going to spend that little chunk of game time on that. Or maybe it's a boss fight, or maybe it's, you know, this, this dungeon, or whatever right. it is. But it's like, I... It's about certain tasks for yourself. Yeah, they are games that yeah. make me feel like I have a little bit of, like, a little bit more active agency to be like, this is the way I want to spend my time in this world. Mm -hmm. uh, in, a very, in a way that feels much more self-directed than more objective-based open world games tend to yeah. in the same way that like you know you'd boot up animal crossing and be like i really want to work on like this corner of my island or i really want to go and like harvest stuff on other islands or whatever again the the chore that you set for yourself in the game for that play session mm -hmm. uh and like i hadn't thought of it explicitly in that way before but i think that does get to and again i'm sure there are people who play elden ring in much more like long form sessions than i do Mm -hmm. I've I've listened to podcasts where they they have talked about playing it long form. <laughs> yeah, like I, the, the, I'm not saying that this is going to be a universal play experience, but like mm -hmm. I think the fact that that is a play experience that feels so rewarding is largely unique in the world of these big AAA open world games. To I would agree with that. Yeah, this couple. I also think um, an interesting dis distinguish the. Dis dis <laughs> I had a brain meltdown for a second. I, I think an interesting point to distinguish is also um, the difference between... Because I, I feel like people who come to open world games do come from like two very different camps, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have people who are playing adventure games who then play open world games. So, you know, you have your Zeldas, you have your... Well, Zelda's really the big one, but like even JRPGs like Final Fantasy, uh, Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest. Um, I don't know why I said it like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, th those types of games 
um, I think facilitate like desire to Zork. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Zork. Um, And, you know, that is one very specific camp of like, you know, we are kind of here to explore a world and, you know, experience a story and, you know, being able to freely explore a world kind of facilitates that fantasy. Whereas, you know, you also have, I'm trying to make a distinguishment. Distinguishment is not a word. What is the word well, I'm trying I to say? I think it is, but it doesn't but, mean what you want it to mean in this context. Exactly. <laughs> a um, distinction. Distinction. Oh my God. Thank you. I got you. you. I got you. I was suffering with that for so long. <laughs> hey, it took me just as long to come up with it. Distinction. What a distinguished word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yes, uh, a distinction between open world design, uh, open world game and a sandbox game, because in my brain, those two things are actually very different when you start to really look in the weeds. Um, a sandbox game is more something like the Mercenaries or, you know, I would say the original Assassin's Creed or Metal Gear Solid V, as we've mentioned earlier, where they are more about uh, the freedom. Hitman's also a really good example, uh, where they're more about the freedom of completing a task and uh, the mm-hmm. multiple ways you can go about it yeah the, the um, sort of immersive sim camp exactly yeah People so it's like it's like... this dichotomy of adventure games and immersive sims that's actually a very good yeah there's there's the to. god i speak i, I want to go replay deus ex so fucking badly yeah i was gonna say like deus ex thief those are the big ones but uh system shock yeah uh it, i i feel like those games kind of inform more sandbox game design and yeah, I think speaking to the adventure games, uh, the the thing I talked about at the beginning of the episode, um, there is a fan mod of, well, many Final Fantasy games, but the one I want to focus on in particular is uh, Final Fantasy IV. Um, there is a randomizer called Free Enterprise that basically gives you uh, one or two starting characters, gives you an airship that you can freely explore the entire world. Um, there are a couple flags you can, uh, check to, like, kind of, um, tell the game, like, what, uh, you want your progression to be like. Like, do you need this key item to get to the end? Do you need this thing to, to beat the game? Um, and then basically, uh, it completely randomizes the bosses, completely randomizes items and chests, items and shops, um, completely, uh, randomizes where you get each character. Um, and basically tells you to explore the world um, using your knowledge of the vanilla version of the game and basically find a solution that works for you for, uh, to get to the end of the game. And I think what is cool about that is, you know, in addition to just being a fun way to revisit a game that you might have played 20 times like I have, it's also... Uh, you know, it's not like Elden Ring, because, like, Elden Ring, everything's very novel and, like, a brand new experience. In Final Fantasy IV, you kind of, if you are playing this as a returning player, you kind of know the general layout. You know where every boss is located. Um, but there's still an element of discovery, and there's a new element of discovery, because you never know what exactly it is you're going to get when you arrive at a destination. Yeah, it's the same um, appeal as, like, a, a Metroidvania or a Zelda randomizer. Exactly. Um, and so you are, it, it, it kind of, it, it brings this new um, feeling of exploration and discovery and basically trying to re- remember landmarks that you can visit and um, go there and see if you 
find something that can help you chip away at the problem that you've been trying to tackle for the last god knows how long um i remember (laughs) when i tried playing the game the first boss that i ran into was like a boss that you fight like three-fourths of the way into the game and i was like oh it's gonna be like that (laughs) so yeah uh that that was kind of a, a an aside but i think we were talking about like open exploration in a more general sense so i i wanted to throw that in there for sure. And I I don't really have much more to to bring to the Elden Ring discussion yet. Like I said, I'm only about five or six hours in. Uh, yeah, I've only we, we might revisit it at some point. I, I think we probably will. I, I think it would be fun to do a deep dive into like the sort of overall design and design trajectory of the FromSoft games. Mm-hmm. I would love to see if we could get like an actual game designer on to help do that, because I think that would be a really cool uh, conversation to have. But I do. okay. quick, quick aside, since we've been talking about all of these other open world games with different approaches to being open world, I want to talk about a very weird game to throw into this category, but one that I fucking loved. Dylan, are you aware of the game uh, Driver San Francisco? No. Okay. One sec. It's an open world driving game where you play a cop who early on in the game, and I want to stress, this is not a spoiler. This is like first level stuff that feels like the kind of thing that would be a twist in a different game. Uh, You are in pursuit of a criminal when you are in a terrible car accident and go into a coma. And while you're in a coma... You have to figure you have to solve the crime and like track down the criminal who injured you in your dreamscape of San Francisco what? by driving by driving around the city. And the conceit of the game is that you have like this guy's car is this like I I am not a car person, so I'm probably wrong, but it, it looks like, you know, a classic sort of Mustang style muscle car. And that is your main vehicle as you drive around this, like, slightly scaled down Google Maps Um, of San Francisco. Actually, according to Wikipedia, it is a 1970 Dodge Challenger. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Wikipedia, and thank you, Dylan Gregory. Uh, But the the conceit is because you're doing this in your coma dreamscape, you can, like, quantum leap into any car in the city. So, like... It gives you missions like you'll have a mission to like chase down, you know, car chase down a, a bank, a, a getaway driver for a bank robbery. And so you can be doing that in your, you know, your Dodge Charger. And then as you're chasing them, you can be like, hold the phone, quantum leap out of the car, select a car in the oncoming lane and like swerve into the the getaway car to stop it. Fuck and yes, you can, holy shit. You can just, like, quantum leap basically to anywhere in the city that you can find a car to possess, like your fucking turbo teen. It's, holy hell, okay. <laughs> it's, it's one of the strangest games I ever played, but I played so much of it back in high school because it was so weird and novel and the fact that you could never heard of this game it's cow (laughs) it's so it it was so niche it was so weird i have no idea Uh if it's even still like findable it was i think i played it on on my xbox 360 so i don't like who knows uh how accessible it is nowadays but the fact that you could basically just like 
you did not have to drive across this. If I, again, I, I could be misremembering, but if my memory serves, you didn't have to drive across the city to get to the next like place a mission was starting because you could just quantum leap into a car that was closer to it instantly and start the mission. That's it was wild. It was a buck wild game that I have never seen anything like before or after. And again, this is I, I don't really have a point for this, but we it, it was all I could think about as we were talking about like games that took a unique take to like open world yeah. gameplay. And it's it's such a bizarre game. I I would if if it, all right, I'm I, looking I'm up gameplay look, of this now and this is incredible. Holy shit. I love this. Yeah, it also it is not a uh, a, ch- a challenging hardcore driving sim. It's pretty like it's not it's not Mario Kart and it's not Forza. It's somewhere in the middle, which feels real good. Um <laughs> God, is is this game is it on PC? It's on PC. Does Steam Oh, is it? Does Steam have Driver San Francisco? <laughs> it does not appear that Steam Steam does not have Driver San Francisco. <laughs> Lost media. Yeah. I, I oh might my have god, to... this game is incredible. They just I'm I'm looking at uh the, the, the player has possessed a uh truck um and like used the uh what do you call like the back part of the trailer? Truck? What the the trailer, thank you. Um use the trailer to like uh head off like a couple of cars and turn yep. it around, turn them around, and oh my god, that is this so game is catch. fuck. It's it's a fucking driving real time strategy game. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> uh, yeah. Th- like I said, this is a tangent, but uh, if it's you can, good if, tangent. If you I'm, can I'm, find I'm... a copy of Driver San Francisco, it's worth playing just for the novelty. It's a very weird game. Uh, if you if when you go to Quantum Leap, you can zoom out to various levels of like you know. First, you zoom out just far enough to sort of get that street view, and then you can zoom out to, like, a few blocks, then you can zoom out to, like, most of the city. And if you zoom out all the way, as far as it'll go, you can... It gets kind of fuzzy around the edges with, like, a dream filter, and you can hear the hospital monitor since you're in a coma. That's so wild! It's Whose idea was this? I do not know. It's, again, one of the most singularly unique games I have ever played. Uh, Video games with soul. Holy hell. If if, if anyone wants a really weird experience and feels like tracking down a weird 2011 Ubisoft driving game, uh, Driver San Francisco fucking rips. (laughs) Anyway, this has been our episode on Elden Ring. And with that, uh, <laughs> I think we can wrap up. Do again, Dylan will tired. share social media. Please do like share your favorite like weird open world games. Share your thoughts on Elden Ring. Try to keep anything that you share about Elden Ring on social media spoiler free. Because again, I'm still playing it, and and I don't. Also, wanna... this is the most important point. Please yell at us for not talking about Pokemon Legends Arceus. Oh <laughs> yeah, neither of us have played that game. Yeah, I'm. I'm less into pokemon legends arcades than i am into elden ring so i i did not think to bring as much that to it but i i talked a little bit about that in a in an earlier episode and brought up that like to to touch very to very briefly bring this back up it definitely has that exploratory thing but the map doesn't feel like i have yet to be in an area of that game where i feel particularly curious mm-hmm. um that's kind of been my takeaway it feels more like um 
honestly, I like just given what I know about the game, I would say that has like pretty big Animal Crossing vibes of today. Yeah. I feel like catching 10 oddishes. Oh, for sure. And I've been really enjoying it from that point of view. Um, yeah. But it, it, it does not succeed in the the same way that Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring do with me being like, I must see what's beyond the horizon. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, again, wrapping up, let us know your thoughts about this. If if anyone wants to mail me a PC copy of Driver San Francisco, message me on Twitter and I'll, we'll, we'll negotiate this. Um, but yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of Backstage Gaming. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Until then, remember to leave a rating or review wherever you find us, uh, whether that's on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on your podcatcher of choice. Ratings and reviews really do help get the uh, the word out about the show and we appreciate every one of them. And if you want to know more about us or reach out to us directly, you can do that at at our website, which is bsgpod.com. Hey, Dylan, what about social media? Yeah, if you want to hit us up on social media, you can find us on Facebook and on our Twitter, where our handle is at bsg underscore cast. Um, also, if you want to, you know, talk about your favorite open world games, uh, we love it if you use that hashtag bsgpod. Also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brennan French for the cure art they have provided our show. Um, if you dig their stuff, you can find them on, uh, it's right here, uh, brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N-French.squarespace.com. You can also find them on Instagram.com slash BrennanFrenchArts and on their Twitter at Brennan underscore French. You should also go check out our friend BioQuery. He's the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. You can find that and more of his music by going to soundcloud.com slash bioquery. That's soundcloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or by searching for BioQuery on Spotify. And thanks, as always, to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It's a great network full of podcasts about video games. If you like our weird ramblings, you're sure to like some of theirs, too. Go to twitter.com and go to at hpvgpodnetwork to find more of those shows and finally thanks as always to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod for sponsoring us for making sure that we're not losing money while we make this show for showing us that support it really does mean the world to us and if you like the show and want to support it in a very direct way patreon.com slash bsgpod is the way to do that a few more hundred dollars a month and maybe we can get into nfts i heard those are a really good idea right dylan For legal reasons, this is a joke. NFTs are fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.